Okay. All right. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I am Pastor Troy here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. And normally I am uh, with uh, Josh Humphreys, our uh, Director of Youth Ministries, uh, but he is away today. And so it is just I sharing with you what the Word of God has to say. And this has been a great week of reading. The book of Isaiah is always one of the most rewarding books of prophecy, I think, to read because it has so much connection to the New Testament. And because we are followers of Jesus Christ and the New Testament draws us in because we have the Gospels, the stories of his life and the letters to the church and so forth, things that are very relevant to us. Uh, the bridge into the Old Testament is is one that is always welcome. And and so Isaiah, well, Isaiah, when we, especially when we have, uh, from the Old Testament, when we're reading the Old Testament and it gives us that bridge to the New Testament. Uh, it's always exciting. And so Isaiah does that for us. And we have some amazing things that Isaiah shares with us this in this week of reading. Also, Psalm 106 and 107 uh, is where we were. Proverbs 25, we just stay there. Just uh, words of nuggets of wisdom interspersed in our reading plan. And and then we are in 2 Corinthians uh, throughout the duration of the week. And uh, 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's, most likely, Paul's third letter to the Corinthians. Maybe his fourth. But uh, we, um, but anyway, we know this. We know that uh, we are, um, we we have Second Corinthians, and it has so many little things. Again, little bits of instruction for the church that are so relevant for us even today. So uh, we're going to be looking at that, and 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 also dealing with a few questions that we might have uh, from the reading that we've had. But uh, anyway, so glad to have you along, and hopefully uh, we will all discover more and get a better understanding of Jesus. We'll be right back. All right, we are back and taking a look at what we read this week. And uh, and if you've been reading along in our reading plan, our reading plan is on our website at www.fbcj.us, and you can always uh, follow along. But if you're reading through the Bible in any reading plan that takes you to the Bible in the year, we're always, you're generally we're always in about the same place. But uh, so uh, so there should be things that overlap and so forth. But today uh, I want to just share a few things. First of all, from Isaiah chapter 28, um, and as Isaiah is uh, giving, God is speaking through Isaiah and giving woes to people who have obviously, uh, there's a state of disobedience that goes through the nation of Israel and Judea, or Judah rather, and uh, and also Samaria. And then chapter 28 particularly, he is giving this woe to Samaria. And, uh, and then he says in chapter 28, verse 14, he says, therefore, Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. For you said, we have made a covenant with death, and we have an agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us, because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. Therefore the Lord said, look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. 
and I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge, and water will flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be dissolved, and your agreement with Sheol will not last. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, you will be trampled. Every time it passes through, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, and every night. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. That is uh, incredible. One, first of all, there is an amazing verse in there that should stick out to you where it talks about, uh, where he reveals that I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. And, and the idea of a cornerstone is it was, you know, you're building a house of stone. The cornerstone was where uh, the rest of the house is built around that to make it straight and level and so forth and, and uphold, uphold, upheld. And so, uh, and, and, and some cornerstones are actually shaped into a corner. I mean, it's like a, it's hewn that way. And uh, the, the, uh, but the, the part here that uh, should stand out to us is you probably have heard that as a reference to Jesus, that Jesus is the cornerstone. And it is, it's a, it is prophesying that Jesus is the, the Messiah is going to be this cornerstone, this tested stone, but around it, all that he's talking about is he's talking about how the people in Jerusalem, the rulers, the people who are got it, because back uh, in, Jer- in in the in the prophet of Jer- uh, prophet prophecy of Jeremiah, uh, you have this. The problem is is that the Jeremiah is talking about the sure destruction of Judah, and the king is saying no, it's not going to be destroyed. And and so here Isaiah is giving this prophecy. He's saying, listen, the people who are scoffing, basically people who are saying God is not going to judge us or that uh, everything is going to be okay or we're going to win and everything's going to be fine, uh, that he's saying uh, you, you've made a covenant with death. Basically, he said, you're under this under, you, you think that you've made this deal with the devil, really, that is going to protect you and keep you from dying, that you've figured out a way to keep the scourge or the, or this, or the bad things that are coming or the wrath of God from coming upon you. And I think that speaks so many volumes to us today, even. Because that's how we think so often. Absolutely, the people in the world who think that, who are not followers of Jesus Christ. But I think even in the church, you, you, we get into this mindset of, I think I figured out a way, even though I haven't been obedient to God, and even though I don't have any plans to be obedient to God, uh, I think I figured out a way to escape wrath and uh, and to escape judgment and to escape these things. And we live under this, it's almost like we got away with it. It's like we, we, we found a way that we can continue to be uh, ungodly or not do what God wants us to do and still get everything that we want out of life. And, and, and really, he's saying that's a covenant with death. You really are thinking that somehow pain and difficulty and, and death is not going to come for you. Uh, we live like this. We live as if death is not going to come for us, or at least we have told death, well, I'm, I'm, you can have me, but I'm going to get all these things done before you come. As if we have control over the span of our lives or the things that we're doing. And so, so we're living every day as though we're going to be here for a very long time. And the truth is, is we have no power over that. We have no control over that. And, and when we are rebellious against God, uh, he's saying that not only do you not have control about it, but it's coming for you. 
and it's going to come in a harsh way. Uh, you've you've made lies and deceit uh, your your safety and your refuge. And he's saying all that is going to be torn away, and your covenant with death is going to be dissolved. And and when the catastrophe comes and passes through, it's going to get you. I I I try not to say this to people when. Um, uh, and I'm trying to, I'm not going to give a specific event, but I'm just going to try to be general here because it was said very recently and I don't want to make people think I'm highlighting them because I hear it all the time, but I'll be a part of something that has a lot of moving pieces and people are stressed out and somebody will say, here's what I know. I know that in the end, it's all going to be okay, that everything's going to work out, that these things just have a way of working out. And I, and, I, and I hear them say that, and I, I know what they're saying. I know what they're trying to convey to the people who are there. But the reality is that's not true, <laughs> that there it doesn't always work out. And sometimes when catastrophes come through, it does utterly devastate. And, and there is no recourse to rebound from that apart from Christ. Because ultimately, death is, uh, is something that we cannot keep it from doing what it does. So when you have when you have somebody, I mean, just to give you an example, somebody have a tragic accident, a bunch of people are hospitalized, people are in the waiting room and they're gripping themselves, wondering what's going to happen. And somebody comes in and says, "Let you know, everything's going to be OK. Um, everything's going to work out all right. Uh, you know, let's just hope for, you know, great things or whatever. What they're really saying is, is that uh, they're that that we believe that in the end that there's going to be a happy ending to this. But the reality is, is that death can come for anybody at any point. So all those people who are in the hospital, even the people sitting in the waiting room, uh, the the reality is that it could have a, a death is a bad ending. It, death is if you take Jesus out of the equation, if you take eternal life out of the equation, uh, then death is a horrible ending, especially when that death becomes eternal death and results and the end result is is hell. I I was you know thinking you know. We were watching um, the Emmys the other night and and watching the immemorial thing and 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 how sad it is to see people who've gone on and so forth, but even sadder to think that there were many people, many names of people who never acknowledged that Jesus Christ was their Lord, uh, never acknowledged that they were a follower of Jesus Christ, put their faith in Jesus Christ, trusted in Jesus Christ, and the reality is, if they did not. And I don't know, I can't, I mean, I'm not their judge, I don't know their souls, I don't know what they did in their private life, but I know this, every time somebody dies, that they're not complete, they're not eternally dead, uh, I mean, as far as they're not, uh, they have a soul, a spirit that's going to be good, they're going to be resurrected, and they're going to be given a body that's going to live forever, and it's either going to live forever in torment and be judged, or they're going to be given a body that's going to live forever in the presence of Christ and enjoy the riches of his kingdom. And that is the truth that, that God himself has shared with us, and you either believe it or you don't believe it, but it doesn't change the reality of it. And so the uh, the, the thing is, is that that we are we we have all these people in our lives, as celebrities and sports heroes, and our neighbors and and people that we encounter, family members and so forth, and. And so often we're living under this lie that everything's going to be okay, uh, that it's all just going to turn out right, when God is clearly saying that is not true. It is only going to be okay if you are putting your trust and your faith in this cornerstone that God has laid in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and so uh, it, that's that's um, uh, that is a, just a it's a, a remind it was a reminder to them the people of Israel kept saying it's going to be okay. And then it wasn't. They were captured, their country fell, and they were judged, and they were taken into captivity. The people of Judah said everything's going to be okay, and it wasn't. They were captured and enslaved and, and taken into captivity. Uh, and uh, and then after 70 years, released and went back and established their nation. And still, everything's going to be okay, and it wasn't. It uh, God's judgment came upon them uh, over and over again. And eventually, 70 A.D. burned Jerusalem down, and, and not until 1947, 48, did it get restored. Um so anyway, that's uh, that was from Isaiah. So, so the, I mean, the, the moral of the story is is that uh, that just because you are telling yourself a lie or telling yourself something over and over again doesn't make it the truth. What makes it the truth is if it comes originates with uh, the message of Jesus Christ. I want to also look at something from Psalm 107 from the Psalms. The good part about when you're doing the podcast alone is I get to go to each of the different sections that we did and are read through and pull something from them. And so um, from Psalm 107, verse 20, let's see, verse 25. Yes, Psalm 107, 25. So he spoke and raised a stormy wind. It stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in ang- anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet, and he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Um, this is, um, again, Jesus, this is one of those Psalms where Jesus is just in so many aspects of the Psalm. And, um, I, um, I am just amazed at how his presence is, is here. Um, I, I was watching the movie Castaway, uh, and in one of the scenes in Castaway, I'm kind of glad Josh isn't here, just so we don't have to point out that he's probably never seen any of the movie references. He never, he never gets the movie references we have. But uh, the, but in the Castaway, there's one scene where the plane crashes and uh, he's out on the ocean, and of course after all the wreckage goes down and everything, and he's on this little life raft. And of course, it's a stormy sea, and the waves are just humongous. And I'm always amazed at movies when they're able to capture how the enormity of the sea. And how small we are in context, and when these you have these enormous waves that are uh, barreling over the top and so forth, and and uh, and 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 to to see these storms and and the and the waves raging and so forth, I remember having a friend who was a merchant marine, and he said there are no atheists at sea, uh, because when you have that kind of power, uh, you cry out for help to someone who has the only one who would have the power to help you is God. And, and so you you're looking for that type of salvation, uh, and this again this the psalmist is talking about how uh, how the the when the, we go to the sea in ships and we see the Lord's works in the wondrous deep and then how God allows the storms to come but then also has the power to calm the storm. I, I just wonder if the disciples when Jesus is in the boat and the and the waves are crashing in when he uh, speaks and just simply brings calmness to the lake and, and the storm. And and 
the power that has to be that a person has to have in order to go from raging ra- a raging sea to just calm waters the power in that is unbelievable which is what it, it moved them to worship him because they saw that when i mean who who speaks to the storm and stops it who speaks to the waves and these were fishermen i mean can you imagine that they know how powerful it is and how how impossible it is to get it to stop uh just by a spoken word yet jesus has this power and demonstrates it and here we have in the psalm this power foretold uh, and and the psalmist speaking it and and just just amazing how then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He brought them out of their their distress He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed and they rejoiced when the waves grew quiet It's as if the psalmist is reading the story in the New Testament or is or as if Jesus is is remembering the psalm as He is bringing it to pass in the lives of the disciples. And I, do, I wonder if they made that connection right off or if it, if it came something that came to them later. But uh, anyway, powerful, powerful message in the Psalms. So so that's uh, something from Psalms and something from um, Isaiah. And uh, let's see, I had something else I want to share with you from Second uh, Corinthians. Um, I don't think I had anything from Proverbs this week, but uh, we... We will maybe next time, maybe next time something from Proverbs, but from uh, today, uh, looking at Second Corinthians. Uh, where is that passage at? There we go. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians seven. Normally, when I have other people here, I have them talking while I am searching for whatever it is that I want to share with you. But when it's just me. Uh, I could have have done it before the podcast started and marked it, but where would the fun in that be? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. um, Paul is uh, talking about joy and repentance, and he says, uh, starting with verse 5, he says, In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival also, but by but by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, um, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, the grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wrong, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. I don't, I don't think um, I, I had ever before, when I was reading through this, I, I don't think I'd ever really seen the connection to suicide as I did this last time when I was reading through it. But, 
But it is clear that there is a sorrow that leads to repentance, and and then there is a sorrow that leads to death. And a sorrow that comes from God or that God allows, the end result is not in the termination of our life. God does not bring into us a despair that takes us down this spiraling road that ultimately ends in our destruction. That is the work of the enemy. And, and we always need to be aware that, uh, that when we are dealing with a sorrow that takes us down a path of despair, that takes us away from God, anytime, anytime we're feeling bad and, and, and start to get into our head, oh, God doesn't love me, God doesn't want me, God would never use me, that, that's not coming from God. Because he would not allow that. He would not allow a feeling of despair to come into our lives that would take us away from him. It's always, always when we feel bad, uh, if if the bad feeling says I need I need to repent and go back to God, then that then then he has allowed it. That's that's where that came from. But if the bad feeling is one that is moving us away from him, then that's the work of the devil is the enemy. And and it's hard to recognize the difference. But as the body of Christ, as as encouragers to one another, as as we're looking to the lives of other people, that's something we need to be constantly sharing with one another. So when somebody says, uh, you know, I've got I've got all these things that are happening to me, and 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 again that sense of that feeling of despair, that feeling of down downtroddenness, or whatever words you want to put into it, just depression. Uh, when those things come in, and and it's and there's no uh, and it begins to be darker and darker and darker where we're going into this blackness. Um, don't ever think that God is the one who is putting you there or trying to push you there. You know, we, we say, well, I think God is punishing me for something that I did. God is never punishing us um, and in such a way that he is not trying to draw us back to himself. It, so so if, there is, if there is a, a quote-unquote punishment from God that, uh, that, is, in our, that is in our life, it, it has one purpose— and that is to get us to stop sinning. Um, Bruce Wilkinson did a beautiful uh, little book called Secrets of the Vine. He's also he's the guy who wrote Prayer of Jabez, and and you know Prayer of Jabez I can take it or leave it, but but I but I love the book Secrets of the Vine. And in Secrets of the Vine, uh, he talks about how it's so important to know the difference between pruning and uh, and discipline and chastising. And pruning is when God allows things in our life that help us to be more fruitful. So he, he takes things away from us that allow us to be more fruitful. Uh, discipline is when he applies pain into our lives or allows pain into our lives in order to cause us to repent. And so, and the way we know the difference is the moment we repent, the pain ends. Um, despair or difficulty or pain or anguish or sorrow that comes as a result of just simply um, not either being either being more fruitful or or drawing us to repentance that's just what the world that's just that's what the world endures because there is no purpose in the suffering if uh, we are not followers of God it, it, there's uh, one of the greatest things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that that our our sorrow is not in vain our pain has a purpose, and and so we we always uh, God only allows us to go through that which either draws us back to Him. So like I said, it either draws us to repentance or it makes us more fruitful for our service to Him. It's never in vain. And uh, and and those who are in the world, well, they they have a sorrow that's unto death, 
And so I, I think that that's it's always something to remind people of that 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 God is you're always looking for what is what is God doing through this? Is He trying to make me more fruitful? Is He trying to call me to repentance? If I have nothing to repent of and and the pain is still there, not to despair in that, but to just say, God, I pray that you will help me to be more fruitful as a result of this. But uh, but never mistake that uh, that when uh, and and I think the and I've, we share this all the time. The barometer of that is that uh, that the the um, the way I know God loves me is through the gift of His Son Jesus Christ. And so I um I I think that I always need to go back to I know that God loves me because Jesus died for my sins, and He gave this gift to me. And so I, in that context, whatever I'm going through right now, I know he loves me. So it has to be this, this, all the loss of my job or, or the failure in this relationship or this monetary collapse or, or my health being what it is, uh, it's happening, but it, it's not for the purpose of me just going into this deep sorrow that leads to death, but instead uh, it is it is something that though it may generate sorrow in me, it is for the purpose of making me more like His Son Jesus Christ, and and giving me more, uh, making me a better making me a better person, giving me a better life, uh, because that's how much uh, Jesus loves us. So when our sorrow produces in us a desire to end our life or the lives of others, it is it's from the ruler of the world, and its objective is death. When the objective is death. Uh, then that is from the enemy. Uh, so we must cling to the word and seek the safety of the body of Christ. That's You go to the church and you seek Jesus in Jesus' people to escape the assault of the enemy. So whenever you have these thoughts or feelings or whatever, remember the enemy's goal is isolate and destroy. And if, and if you seek somebody out and they do not have the time for you or reject you or don't take you seriously or whatever, then perhaps that person themselves is struggling in their own following of Jesus Christ. Just keep looking. There is going to be a person who is a follower of Christ who's going to hear you, hear your cries, and God is going to use that person to uh, to minister to you. Don't give up looking for hope in in the body of Christ. Uh, so, so cling to the word. Seek safety in the body of Christ and escape the assault of the enemy. His lies are trying to produce despair, uh, and so we have to surround ourselves with people who embody the truth. So we're going to come back in just a little bit and, and deal with a couple of questions that may have been generated from the reading of God's Word this week. So, uh, so we'll be right back. Okay, we're back, and uh, we have a uh, question that was uh, given to us by our own Daniel Mawson, or who formerly was our own Daniel Mawson, who's moved on again to to other places. But you will be familiar with his voice uh, on this podcast. But uh, the question is a great question, and that is, uh, what about a third letter to the Corinthians? And how do we know that there is a 
third letter. Well, uh, it is a, um, we do know that there is a letter that is lost. Some people say there are four letters to the, uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, some people say that Second uh, Corinthians is actually a hybrid of two letters, but, uh, but most likely there's, there's much evidence uh, to show that, uh, that the letter that originated in Second Corinthians is in the form in which we now have it. Uh, the all the ancient Christian writers knew the letter only in its present form, uh, so so it would be a, so it's a unified single letter. Even though uh, the author uh, has two separate different has different sets of issues, Paul would change his style sometimes midstream. But we we all do that when we're writing letters. So there's no evidence to say that Second Corinthians is actually two separate letters. The reason though there is this. Um, uh, in the sequence of events, first of all, 1 Corinthians was not super well received uh, by the church at Corinth, and there was a lot of um, uh, discord there. Uh, Timothy uh, had gone back with Paul to Ephesus, uh, and the report was is that the uh, church was uh, still greatly troubled. Um, there are these false apostles that were there uh, that are mentioned in 2 Corinthians, uh, and in uh, the... Uh, and there was also the a problem of Judaizers who were coming in, who were trying to convince people to um, that that they needed to pra- go back to all the old Jewish practices and so forth. So uh, so anyway, so Paul visited Corinth a second time. Uh, the first time it was his church planning visit, and then he described the visit as sorrowful or painful. Uh, and uh, and so after that, Paul wrote a severe letter of stinging rebuke to Corinth, and and we are told about that that stinging letter of rebuke. Well, it doesn't follow that that letter would have been First Corinthians because that's not the stinging letter of rebuke that's being talked about, and it doesn't fit the time frame of of where Paul was in his missionary journey. So we know that uh, we and we have that uh, from. Um, uh, that Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote this letter, and he sent the letter by Titus. Uh, so that was not 1 Corinthians, and it came before 2 Corinthians, so there has to be a third letter. So anyway, that's uh, that's so the it's in the writing of 2 Corinthians itself that Paul is referencing this letter, and yet it cannot be, just because of the timeline, it can't be 1 Corinthians. So So it's a letter that's now lost, and therefore, we know there are at least three letters. Now, uh, a greater question and, and that I used to have is, so if we found that third letter, if it all of a sudden surfaced, would it be part of the Bible? And the answer to that is no, it would not be part of the Bible. The canon that we have was uh, is not just because Paul wrote letters, and so everything Paul writes is in the Bible. It's not like everything Peter wrote would be in the Bible. Uh, they wrote what they wrote, and God used it to uh, uh, and assembled it to the churches and the churches have used that as guiding influence the holy spirit pulling that collection of works together and using that as his means of speaking to the church is part of the evidence of the inspiration of the holy spirit and and the fact that it is the word of god the fact that we have that so there are lots of other pieces and parts that we find of, of writings from other places but that doesn't just magically make things the bible um, you have to see the superintending process of God in the work itself. And so at this point, 2,000 years after the fact, uh, it would not become part of, 
of the Bible because then it would not be not not have, not have been given to the church uh, from the onset. So so uh, we've been uh, that's why we we have the Bible that we have and and trust in its faithfulness. So so anyway. All right. Thank you, Daniel, for calling in and giving us that question. And uh, we will be back uh, for uh, more understanding Jesus. Uh, don't uh, don't forget that we have a podcast. The podcast comes out every Thursday, uh, but many, many more episodes. And all, we've already been through the entire Bible for the course of the year. So if you're ahead or behind in your Bible reading, you can always find an episode that that is dealing with what it is you're reading at the time. And if there's something that we haven't talked about or dealt with that you're reading or something you find interesting, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to contact me at Troy at fbcj.us troy at fbcj.us and uh, leave your comments and uh, otherwise we will see you next time on understanding jesus